Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is a Geek Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Rauta. This show is all about helping us grow as leaders, become better technologists, and improve our lives both at work and at home. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot. Hello, world, and welcome to episode 196 of Geek Leader Podcast. I'm your host, John Rauta, and today's sponsor is Private Internet Access. If you've ever surfed the web and wanted to do it securely, especially when you're traveling or uh, using someone else's uh, network, you definitely need private internet access. Private internet access allows you to have a secure VPN without them logging what data you're, what you're doing, what transactions you're making, or anything like that to connect to anywhere in the world. You can also change your default location so it appears as if you're coming from a different place. Why is this helpful, you say? If you're not doing anything nefarious, well, it's really helpful if you want to test DNS resolution from different places and different time zones. Um, it's a really cool tool and it's not very expensive at all. You can get plans starting at $3.99 a month and you can find out more by going to geekleader.com slash VPN. Again, that's geekleader.com slash VPN. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Geek Leaders, today on the show, I've got Joel Malkoff, and he has been in business for over 40 years, lots of experience, and he's written a book um, about selling ethically, which is going to be very useful, I think, from uh, a technology leader standpoint when you think about ethics and technology, but also ethics and, and how you uh, treat people and talk to people. And I, I'm really excited to, uh, to introduce Joel to the audience and have this good conversation. Joel, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you don't mind, just tell the audience kind of how you got to where you are today, what your path has been like, just to lay some context for the conversation we're about to have. Yeah, I'll try to do an elevator pitch over here. It's a little bit difficult uh, because it's so many years, but the book is really a, a narrative um, nonfiction. It's actually written in a parable. It's the story of my business life. So mm -hmm. um, I started off relatively uh, unethical, had an epiphany, and then uh, been striving to be ethical um, ever since. So I graduated uh, sales and marketing um, business degree from Pace University in New York City in 73, there was an energy crunch. So literally I wound up not being able to work for a corporate 500 company. I wound up getting into the car industry. So my mm. early mentors um, really, they, they taught me a good deal of unethical ways of selling, uh, manipulating through fear, uh, bait and switch, you know, mm -hmm. all the things that the car industry is so well known uh, for. And then, you know, moving on to my career from uh, commercial lighting finally into um, medical sales, um, then I started becoming more uh, ethical. And when I had that epiphany, I was able to kind of turn that corner. 
Mm. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, I think we've all had experiences, good and bad with, with you know, cars in the past. I've had a uh, uh, shout out to um, our, our local dealer here in, in Charlotte uh, for the Ford place. I mean, it was a great experience uh, straight through, but then um, my wife bought a Tesla and going through that was totally different. It was just basically shop online. There is no negotiation. There's no, no uh, uh, figuring out details. It's you pick your options and they deliver it to you. You're done. <laughs> Very pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Very different experience. Um, and I know for me, some of the things that I was interested in when, when um, uh, the proposal for, for you to come on my show came across my, my desk was um, I think ethics is extremely important. And, you know, from a religious standpoint, for my background, it's one of those things that, you know, I hold in high regard. And I've always thought honesty is kind of the key to getting, uh, you know, to getting ahead of the game. Honestly, it's yes. better to be truthful than to tend to, to lie because it's a lie you know liars are always found out one way or another right yes it is um and, and for me it's kind of like in business and in leadership and management and all those those buzzwords and terms that we we use all the time it's a long game it's not a short game and um uh, being so great yeah and be, being ethical and honest to the core it's kind of going to get you there in that, that longer um path yeah yeah, totally agree. I mean, the one thing I learned from the car industry, it was kind of a one-shot sell. So um, you were less concerned about burning bridges because the volume was always there. So it was just turning over uh, customers. But when I started getting in commercial lighting and I had a territory and I had a um, long-term relationship with distributors, then, then I wound up understanding the benefit of uh, building a long-term relationship. But, you know, even at that time, um, I kind of got a feeling of distributors in terms of them needing to cut corners um, in their mind to make a living when dealing with large corporations. So um, I still didn't reach the point I wanted. And even when I got into medical sales, I thought, well, you know, that's really great, you know, saving lives, producing products that will save lives. Uh, but there's another whole world of medical that isn't as uh, clean as you may want. Um, so really, it was uh, up until I, I kind of had that uh, experience and I realized um, it's important to be ethical. Mm -hmm. uh, from a spiritual point of view, you should be ethical because it's the right thing to do. So you do the right thing. But uh, from a business point of view, when you're looking to uh, sell ethics, if you will, to business people, uh, you still have to fulfill that what's in it for me. So the business person really isn't looking at me through spiritual guidance. I'm not a preacher. So um, it really needs to be for profit. And it's very, very clear that if you're ethical, uh, it will be more profitable for you. Uh, but that's based on building long-term relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, if I go back to, you know, what, five years ago, four and a half years ago, when I started this podcast, you know, one of the reasons to I did this was to hold myself accountable um, to, to, you know, doing things ethically and being, you know, a good boss, you know, if it will, you know, a good leader for my team. I figured if I, if I said something publicly that was out there on record, I kind of had to live up to it, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I think that's one of the, you know, things that, that I did to try to hold myself accountable was, was, you know, starting this show. And I think accountability is one of those big things that, um, and just, you know, you, you, you tell a story about how um, there was, a product where a customer, a potential customer asked, you know, when this feature would be available. And I think someone said that it was like, uh, it's ready now, but in reality it was 18 months. Can you tell us a little about, about that story and kind of how that played out by, by going back and correcting and be, being honest about when it's available um, and how that played out? 
Yeah, I think one of the hardest times to stay ethical is in a competitive situation. You know, when you have a product and it seems to be a slam dunk and there's not a lot of other products that you're competing with, you know, life could be a little bit easier and uh, there may be a tendency to reach a high standard of ethics. But when you're in a very competitive situation, you're dealing with price, you're dealing with other product features, um, and it's coming right down to the wire, um, and the buyer is asking about a feature that you don't have. So uh, there's a tendency to sell that uh, vaporware, if you will, uh, the potential of a feature that will come into existence, but really it's a long way off. So what you're doing is you're kind of uh, uh, maintaining a competitive equality, but you're saying your product can do something uh, that it really can't. I found in the, uh, even in the short term, it feels a little funny, but walking away from a sale, actually going to a potential customer and saying, you know, we don't have this now. We won't have it for another year and a half. Um, I don't want to promise you something that I don't have right now. Uh, the competitor does have this product. You may be for this particular time better off, you know, purchasing that product. After the buyer kind of wakes up that you're being so open and, uh, and honest and almost in shock, uh, you can be sure the next time that buyer needs uh, a product, he's coming to you first. Yeah. So, you know, you built that long-term relationship. Um, it's a difficult thing to get past, but uh, it definitely works. And from a sales point of view, um, if a salesperson has a quota and things like that, it's more pressure. If it's an independent business, uh, an IT company, an IT manufacturer, distributor, um, you know, you have overhead. So to walk away from that particular sale, um, you know, it, it, it takes a good deal. You know, it's, uh, it, it's hard to be ethical, honest, build integrity. Yeah, absolutely. I know there's a, um, uh, a vendor that I work with regularly now. Um, we had a need for um, some, some products and services, you know, to be configured and installed. And we contacted them and the guy's like, yeah, we can totally do it. But, you know, our price is going to be a little bit higher if you contact this other group. They're going to be able to take care of this you know, and, and help you out now, whereas I've got a two week lead time, our prices will be a little bit higher. And we'll, we'll be happy to, you know, introduce to do the introductions and, and handle you out. And if you need, you know, assistance in the future or something that can be planned out further, we'll, we'll like to help you, you know, and just being honest and open, not saying, yeah, we'll do it. And, you know, and it being delayed and slower, just so they can get the sale, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing to get that honesty up front and knowing that they're passing off money to, to make sure that you're taken care of is uh is refreshing yeah i mean it's you know even that's a little bit tricky because it uh i agree with you um but a gifted salesperson can actually use that as literally a sales pitch you know because your approach is uh well this this person's very good i mean they're booked up i'm not going to be able to have them for another two weeks or a month and they're saying well here's another company and uh they're a little bit less expensive and you know, I can give you their name. You, you almost want something because it's scarce. You know, it's, uh, um, it can be done two ways. It could be done as truthful and honest, which, you know, I'd like to believe that person uh, spoke to you that way, mm -hmm. or uh, it's just a great sales pitch to create uh, a scarcity. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I like to think that it's honest. Uh, I'd like to think so too. <laughs> Um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, maybe some of your experiences where the the roles are reversed? Because a lot of times in technology, as a technical leader, you know, I'm 
bombarded with emails and phone calls and, and sales pitch. And sometimes they're great products and sometimes it's actually, you know, great uh, sales experience, but how should I handle that ethically? If I know that I don't have budget for something and, um, and I'm, I'm not interested this year, maybe it's something to push off to next year, or maybe it's something I'll never be interested in because of the, the industry that I'm in or, or the services that we have in house. What are some ways that we can, we can handle some of those things and maintain a high uh, quality of ethics, a, a good feeling inside and also uh, make sure that we're, you know, still building those relationships that are necessary in business. Sure, John. I think that's a great answer. I remember when uh, um, I was looking for um, a high-end um, camera and I could have got it a good deal cheaper online. That wasn't a question, uh, but some people will go into a camera shop and they'll use that salesperson's time to acquire all this knowledge. Uh, with no intention to uh, to purchase it from them because mm -hmm. they can buy it cheaper online. I always found when I had that approach, I would, let's say, go into that camera store. And again, it's being upfront and saying, uh, I'm interested in this camera. Um, I would like to purchase from a local place. I enjoy the one-on-one. -on -one. I enjoy really getting all the product knowledge. Um, and I am willing to pay a little more for, for that service, but I'm not willing to pay 30 or 40% more for the service. And then it's very upfront. You mm -hmm. tell the person exactly what you're going to do, and it becomes the seller's choice to decide if he wants to spend the time or not. So I think the answer to what you're saying, John, is being very upfront. Um, and when people start knocking on your door and they want to push some kind of service, I, I think if you're saying upfront, uh, I'm really not interested in that right now. I'm not sure if I have the finance to do that right now, but, you know, maybe in the future I can. So, you know, if you want to talk to me about it, that's fine. I just want to be upfront about it. So you're not leading on anyone. Yeah. So tell me if I'm doing this right or wrong. Um, and I'll tell you kind of how I evolved this method. Uh, whenever I get a message from someone and it's not like, you know, direct spam, if it's a, if it's a message from an individual salesperson, I, I try to always reply. And um, the reply, maybe I'm not interested right now. It's not a core piece of our business. Um, or if it is something I may be interested in, but I know I can't afford it because I don't have budget. I don't have any, you know, I don't have a business case to make for it. I can't make any ROI for, for this product. It's nice to have, but it can't happen this year. I'll say, you know, I don't have the budget for this product this year. Maybe reach out to me in, you know, six months or nine months or whenever. Um, and I usually get good takes on that. Should I do that or should I just ignore the person? What's the best response? I think that's perfect. You know, I come from a sales background, so ignoring a salesperson is not something I feel comfortable with. <laughs> so uh, being on that side of the coin, you know, I, I'm running a medical device company. I, I'm constantly being approached by uh, software companies, uh, IT people, you know, on and on, you know, for their services, especially now because so many things are uh, remote. You know, we're doing a lot of virtual demos. I have my sales force really uh, at home, you know, doing virtual demos. So from my point of view, uh, I think you're doing it perfect. You're getting back to the person um, and you're telling the person exactly where you're at right now. The possibility may not be right now, but it could be something in the future. I think the difficulty is when you get a salesperson that doesn't respect what you're saying and they seem to always be in your face and you're not really sure uh, how to cut this person loose. And then you develop almost a hardness because of that one person that you're not gonna respond to anyone anymore. So I, I think you still need to do the right thing. Uh, and then it's just, just different ways to turn off that one salesperson if they're so persistent uh, and they just don't hear the word no. 
Yeah. I've seen sometimes where colleagues of mine will engage the, the person, you know, cause they don't want to tell people no, they feel bad about telling people no. So they'll just kind of lead the person on. What, what does that actually do in the long run of things? Well, I think you're stealing. So um, not you personally, of course, but, <laughs> you know, I think when you take a salesperson's time and you're inferring that you will be a viable um, customer and you're kind of acquiring all this knowledge from the salesperson without any intent to do it. So you will find people that are highly skilled in certain things saying, I'm going to acquire all this knowledge. I could build this app myself. You know, I don't really need his framework to do this. I can I can do it myself. So, you know, you're kind of stealing that person's time. It's unethical. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know you're doing it up front and you know you're actually going to become a competitor to this person, um, it's unethical. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. And, you know, I even have some vendors that have reached out to me and said, you know, here are Panthers tickets. Can you come to the football game in, you know, and, I'm, and I'll just reply to them and say, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to go to the game. That's great. But I'm not interested in your products. So I'm going to have to decline. You know, if it was something that I was interested in, maybe I'd take you up on it. But I'm not I'm not interested in getting Panthers tickets because I would just feel too guilty. You know, it's not, I'm just stealing those t- tickets at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to that point of view. You know, when has it become uh, a gift with no string attached? And when is it bribery? Right. So, um, you know, if you're an existing customer and a salesperson um, provides you with gifting like this, if there's no strings attached, then uh, maybe there isn't anything wrong with it. If a person uh, wants to gift you something uh, like Panther tickets and you have no intent to purchase uh, and you're up front with that person, I have no intent to purchase at this point. And he still wants to gift you those tickets. I don't see anything unethical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really when a bribe can influence your decision making that it does, you know, become difficult. Um, yeah. And that's something actually, from a judicial point of view, they're always wanting judges to be very careful, you know, with uh, any kind of bribes or in the medical industry. Um, they passed the rule in the AMA a couple of years ago where uh, physicians can take any gifting over $25. Um, so it eliminates uh, all these uh, free lunches and free dinners and, you know, what color Porsche do you want? You know, park it in front of his driveway. Yeah. Um, I mean, you needed to do things like that. Bribes are, bribes are difficult. You know, yeah. when is a bribe a bribe and when is it, you know, um, a gift? I, I can't remember which book it was that I read, but it was probably, you know, more than a decade ago. I read a book about um, influence. And one of the things they talked about is how you can subconsciously be influenced by accepting something and then feel like you owe the person, um, which is why, like, if I'm ever meeting with a vendor, and we're going to lunch, you, you know, I'll try to pay for their lunch. You know, right. uh, and, you know I'm not going to allow them to, to buy me buy me lunch while we're still trying to negotiate a deal because I don't want to, you know, corrupt my mind in a way that thinks that I owe them something. And, and it does. You know, you're you're 100 percent right. You know, and anything like that is is a little little seed in you. So, you know, a salesperson wants to plant those seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wants that kind of uh, you owe me, uh, even in a way of you thinking a certain way. I mean, it just it has an amazing effect. Yeah. Uh, the one one exception of that that I can think of, um, this goes way back to um uh, probably more than more than a decade ago as well. I was um, managing a team and I had a uh, vendor call me and I guess the way his company was set up is he had to take so many people to lunch every month to meet <laughs> like a quota or something. And I told him, so yes. I'm not interested in your product. I'm not interested. He's like, 
Look, man, we're both at the time. We we're both uh, college basketball fans. We talked about it. You know, when he when he went on, I would talk to him. He's like, "Look, I know you're not interested. I have to take people to lunch. I have to take a certain number of people. Most of the people I take to lunch are super boring. I hate doing it. Can we just go to lunch like once a month just to just to pad that quota for me?" Um, so that was kind of the one exception where I said, "All right, like I, you're my friend. I'll take I'll go to lunch with you. That, that helps you out." <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great way to build a relationship. Um, I manage a lot of sales forces. I never remember a lunch <laughs> quota, um, but it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, right now I have my salespeople do lunch and learn. So, mm-hmm. you know, we go into universities, pharmaceutical companies. I have my salespeople um, pay for lunch because most of the time with researchers and physicians, uh, time is so, so important. And they do everything while they're eating and working. So, mm-hmm. um you know, that my salespeople will make a sales pitch while we're kind of feeding them. So uh, psychologically, you know, does it have an effect? Uh, I would think so. Um, but it doesn't feel unethical. Right. I think as long as you're learning something in there, it makes it, it changes, it changes your mindset. I you know I've gone to, to lunch and learns and, you know, little conferences where they'll feed you and they'll do their little sales pitch during the thing, but you're, you're learning something. And it's like, it's almost like, um, I'm trading the knowledge for the food, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, right. it's a one, one for one trade. It feels, you come out of that feeling equal, not feeling like you owe someone. Yeah. And I think it does have a psychological effect and it is a benefit for the salespeople. Um, and it, it feels like that's kind of okay because mm-hmm. there really isn't any strings attached to it. Yeah. I, I know one of the things you I've heard you talk about in some of your other interviews was that uh, you, you wrote this was, you know, for an idea to show people that, Ethics is not only something that makes you feel good, but it can also be profitable in business. What are some some things that you've seen um, and you can share maybe some stories about how being ethical has paid off in the long run? Yeah, I think the key is um, the key is developing a long term relationship. So, uh, you know, it is proven that long term relationships are more profitable for companies. Um, you don't have to keep doing cold calling, knocking on other doors. It's easy to sell an existing customer. Mm-hmm. Your best customers are really references and referrals. I think uh, for any IT audience, that that's really a key because when it comes down to it all, what about the implementation? You know, was the service done properly? So um, I think building that long-term relationship is just the key. Also, even from uh, even from a marketing point of view, you don't have to spend so much money in marketing when you're dealing with existing customers. From a sales point of view, um, you're not constantly trying to repair a relationship because uh, you need to backpedal because you didn't develop a good relationship. So, right. so really, a, a long-term relationship is is truly the key uh, to profitability. Um, But I think too often today, companies don't look at an ethical environment as something that's a profit. I think they look at it more as uh, an expense. So uh, what do we have to do as a company to give the appearance that we're ethical? Um, Rather than really from the top down, understanding that uh, if we're ethical, we build long-term relationships and and hence it's more profitable. And because um, ethics is only one uh, variable to uh, profitability of a company, it's hard to put something quantifiable to it. Um, you know, because it's based on the company's reputation, uh, it's based on the product line. Uh, there's so many things that creates profitability to a company besides being ethical. Uh, but if you look at ethics as a way to build a long-term relationship and you can't really build a long-term relationship without honesty, integrity, and being ethical, um, then it's a profit center. It really is not an expense. 
Right. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're hundred percent right. I think the long game is where, where it really pays off, but also, you know, it does in the short game as well. Um, one of the things that I, I really liked about uh, your website is you have a bunch of quotes on there that kind of um, help you understand a little bit more about honesty and integrity and some of those things. Yes. Um, and, and I found that, you know, interesting as scrolling through them, just reading some of them and, th- and thinking, Oh yeah, that makes sense. So that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, I enjoy the quotes. It's, it's things that I like to go back to and look at and it kind of keeps centering me. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about this book, because um, wh- why did you decide to write a book about, about ethics in general? What, what was the, uh, the passion inside of you that made you want to spend time to put this together and to record it permanently and get it out there? Well, it was, a, it was a long process because, again, I'm running a medical device company now, so I really only had uh, nights and weekends and vacation time to work on a book. So um, about nine years ago, I finished a book uh, really in 10 months, but it took another eight years to uh, revise it and get as clean as I wanted. Um, originally, it was 60,000 words, and I brought it down to 30,000 words, then 15,000 words, and back up to 25,000 words. And... Um, I wanted something that would be uh, a business parable, if you will. I found that I learned best when I was kind of told a story rather than something a little drier. So um, I had to create an environment where uh, it was a parable and there were business lessons in it, but I didn't want to have sidebars or summaries or things like that. I wanted somebody to read the book, uh, the parable, and fairly quick, three to five hours to read the book. Um, and just kind of to get it. Uh, so what it became really was an autobiography of myself when I, I first got into uh, the world of business, moving into different industries, finally having an epiphany, and then staying on a road to uh, maintaining and growing from an ethical point of view. So I felt like I wanted to spread ethics. Um, I don't really expect book selling to uh, be very profitable. It's a very strange industry. It really, there isn't much profit in it to begin with. So I'm not saying it's altruistic, but I wanted to produce a book that I could get out there and, and spread from an ethical point of view. Uh, so really my goal is, um, my goal is really to get a VP of sales or VP of marketing and a major corporation to say, yes, I want my entire sales force to read this book. So, you know, I'd like to order a couple of pallets of it. And um, that really is my goal. It's kind of bulk book sales. Um, and it's to spread ethics. So it's really to improve a buyer-seller relationship where it's the seller beware, uh, not the buyer beware. So the seller has to be transparent, full disclosure, not slandering uh, competitors. Don't uh, misrepresent your product. Don't mislead buyers. Just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And in essence, have your personal ethics based on your own environment, spirituality, have that be the same as your business ethics. There shouldn't be a difference. You shouldn't be an ethical person at home. And then all of a sudden you get into business and you don't feel like you need to apply the same ethics. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think it's a part about knowing yourself and what you, you know, you know, you gotta be yourself at work as well as at home. And um, we recently had uh, Jonathan Raymond on, uh, he wrote a book called good authority. We talked a lot about, um, 
kind of having that accountability and, and, you know, carrying through what you do, you know, both at home and at work and how, you know, with yes. COVID and, you know, employees working from home, the home and work boundary has kind of blurred together a whole lot more than, than any, any time I remember it, you know, where you're not just taking work home with you, you're actually working while you're at home and you have kids in the background, you have life going on. And, you know, I found, you know, being a father, you want to set a great example for your children and how you work is, is one way you do that. Yes, agreed. I mean, it's all based on uh, what you do and now what you say. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you hold that bar up and your children see that you're ethical on all different levels, you know, going to a supermarket and watching uh, um, a person scan or miss scanning one of your uh, food items and just bringing it back up to the person and say, hey, you missed this one. Um, you know, that resonates with your children that, that stays on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you definitely, you know, it shows one of those things where they're like, oh, you could have got that for free. Right. But that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you remember those stories and that they, they, you know, carry a lot more weight than you telling somebody something. I think showing it and, and living it. Are and it's hard, things. you know, especially with, um, you know, big business today where you say, well, what's the difference? It's a big business. They can afford it. You know, so you kind of draw this line where um, it's, kind of not good to uh, hurt your small business, but mm-hmm. it's kind of okay with a big business. They can afford it. Right. You know, and you, you start differentiating between things and, and your children will see that too. Yeah. And I've had, um, you know, people on my team where, I, you know, I had someone um, shipped, uh, I mentioned the Panthers tickets. They shipped um, some football tickets to right. our company and it wasn't anybody we worked with. It was a larger company that was trying to get, you know, their foot in the door. And I, I mentioned to somebody, I said, yeah, I'm just going to send these back. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested. They're like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Let me keep them. I'm like, no, no, we got to ship them back. Yeah. You know, it's one of those examples that shows like, you know, my boss isn't going to take these things. So, you know, I'm not either, you know, and it, it kind of is, is, again, it goes to that story where you can tell somebody something, but if you show them by example, it means a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I was working with my IT person a couple of months ago and it was a new IT person for uh, web development. And um, uh, when we got into invoicing and payment, he said, well, I can use uh, PayPal. I said, that's great. You know, and he said, well, you know, when you uh, when you fill out the form, you know, just, you know, say you're my relative. And I said, well, we're not relatives <laughs> and <laughs> because in PayPal, there's no um no percentage if it's going from family to family, but it is, if it's a business relationship. So, you know, I kind of blew them away. I just didn't want to do that. Um, so it's a whole bunch of little things that can make a difference. And, uh, you know, this person was uh, religious by nature too. So he was able to differentiate between his personal ethics and his business ethics. Yeah. That's uh, that's unfortunate. I've seen that too, where people, where people will do that. Um, for me, I'd rather pay the 2% than feel guilty about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but some people, you know, they are uh, they're very careful with their money. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they felt that was the way to go. I, I think right now in the IT world, you know, AI is just so hot. You know, when is uh, when is an invasion of privacy? Mm. Yeah. You know, um, when you start developing those algorithms and they start really ripping apart buyers and, you know, all of a sudden you do a Google search and then you have all these, you know, banners of products that you're searching now they're trying to sell you, you know, how, how ethical is it to sell your personal data to other companies? Um, and where do you draw the line? Um, 
it, it, they're difficult situations. I know uh, one of my emails, um, I noticed that in the body of my email, if I mentioned something, all of a sudden I was getting ads from uh, that particular product. And I said, that's really strange. You know, I can see if it's in a subject line, it's kind of like if you're looking at a snail mail and there's information in, on the cover of uh, the envelope, it's kind of open to everyone. But if somebody is uh, spying through the body of my email, uh, that's kind of like opening up a letter and reading it, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just how I feel uh, where I draw that line. Fine, if it's in my subject line, it's open to everyone, but you shouldn't be opening up my emails and scanning it, you know, so you could mark it to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's kind of shady. And you see, you know, where, where is the line drawn? Because you could approach it to where saying, well, we're trying to show you things that you're more interested in. So it's a service. It's helping you out. You're not, you know, now you don't have to search as much because we're giving you those things. Um, but it, it's a really tricky line. And you see there's companies now trying to um, market on that. Like Apple is really big about, you know, privacy and, and pushing and, and advertising that we're going to be private with your data. And we're going to force Facebook and these other apps that are on our, our phones to, to tell you that they're going to be, you know, pulling this information, you know, and yeah. make you, make you accept it. I agree. And, it, you know, it's all about the gray, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the black and white is fairly easy when it comes to ethics. It's it's really that gray that makes it uh, extremely difficult. I mean, in uh, in Europe, they're kind of doing away with uh, cookies and uh, in the U.S. it will be gone by next year, too. So, you know, how how does all these marketing people deal with that? You know, has it affect organic and uh, PPC in terms of SEO? Uh, you know, there's, there's a real flux going on today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, when you, when you can't tell it, it when, when you can justify something one way or another, that's where, you know, the line draws, you know, like you mentioned the big business and small business, well, they don't need the money. You know, it, it's helpful for me, you know, and you can justify it. It, it comes a little, a little tricky. And, um, that's where you kind of have to just dig down. What is the, what is the, what, what is the, what's actually happening here and, and dig a little bit deeper and, um, and figure out whether it is a benefit or if it's an invasion of privacy. Yeah. And it gets hard, you know, when, uh, when the money's dear and you're trying to make payroll and you have to pay for your overhead, uh, you know, this one ethics wind up getting compromised. That's where it's really important to have that strength before you come across that uh, challenging ethical decision. Mm -hmm. uh, yep, absolutely. I think so. What are some things that you can do as a um, as a leader to kind of build up some of those ethical um, strengths that you talk about, so that you know when you do have a decision to be made, it's easier for you to make that decision. Um, you know, for me, it's just constantly learning. So uh, you can learn from experience. You can learn from books. Uh, you know, for me, books is always a great source. Um, I always found it's always difficult to find that right kind of mentor. Um, I found it later in life, it was a little difficult, you know, at the beginning, uh, but there's so many books and there's so many sources for uh, good ethical decision-making, uh, good leadership. And I think the more you get involved with it, the more you see examples, the more you see how ethicists made the right kind of decisions, uh, the better you'll be, the more you'll be prepared. Um, and I think many things, even from a spiritual point of view, I mean, you can understand ethics and integrity and honesty from uh, being transparent, uh, providing full disclosure, not misrepresenting the product, not misleading. Um, but the layer on top of all the business end of it is really the golden rule. So it's being fair and good. 
So when you're really thinking about your buyer and you're thinking about their true intent and you're thinking about how could I be fair and good to that mm-hmm. buyer, then you're bringing ethics to a much higher level than uh, strictly being honest. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, well, how can people find out more about some of the work that you're working on and uh, get a copy of the book? Uh, well, Amazon, they seem to own the book industry. So, <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. I'm on Amazon. Um, you know, I have my hardcover, I have my soft cover, I have an ebook, and I just finished uh, an excellent uh, actor just finished the uh, audio uh, mm-hmm. book. So Amazon has um, all the four versions of my book, and then my website, uh, uh, theethicsgiver.com. I'm um, actually. Um, redesigning it right now from where it was uh, because I'm starting to do some uh, Google ads. So the landing page needs to be Google friendly. Um, another whole world, you know, I'm getting <laughs> into, uh, but the ethics giver uh, is a great portal. And I also have a site where if somebody in your audience, anyone has some ethical questions, um, I'll be more than happy to answer any specific things on a one-on-one basis. Uh, just for free. I just like to spread ethics. Awesome. Yeah. I'll link that up in the show notes. People can find that at geekleader.com. You can also find a, uh, a link to the book at geekleader.com uh, and click on books from our guest. And, and Joel, welcome. I, I really appreciate having you on. I really enjoyed the conversation. I felt like, uh, you know, it, it reaffirmed some of the things that I was doing. It gives me some, some insights on how to, you know, be more ethical as a leader and as a buyer and as a seller. John, it was wonderful. I, I really like everything that you were talking about. And it looks like you te- you're leading your IT team um, in a great manner. So uh, keep up the ethics. Yep, we'll do it. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed that episode, please uh, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate that. And also don't forget to check out merch. We have some t-shirts that uh, I've designed that are on geekleader.com. Um, You can click on the merchandise uh, section there and check that out. And also don't forget about the books from our guests. So if you like this guest and other guests that have written books, please um, go ahead and check that out at geekleader.com. I would greatly appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too.